Hello, friends. Passing Dimes is over the moon to announce our new partnership with BetStamp. BetStamp is a mobile app in the sports betting space that shows you the odds from every sports book in one spot. Say you're like me and you find it more engaging to put $20 down on your favorite team. With BetStamp, you can compare the best available odds at one sportsbook versus the worst odds at another sportsbook all in one spot. Go to the App Store today and download BetStamp for free and use code DIMES. That's D-I-M-E-S. For more information or to learn more about BetStamp education sessions where you can get an edge in online sports betting, message Passing Dimes on Instagram or Facebook accounts. Stay excellent, friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He grew up playing for the Ottawa Mavericks, where he's an OVA provincial medalist. They won 17U Grand Prix gold before COVID stopped their season. He's also represented Team Ontario, the youth national team, and is currently with the Brock Badgers. Please welcome to the show, Jacob Rainville. Jacob, thanks for doing this, man. Thank you for having me. So I remember you as an Ottawa Mavs guy, and I always enjoyed watching you play and kind of the structure of their club that I'll ask you about here in a second. But uh, in doing some research for the show, I learned that both your parents were volleyball people. So I'm curious, were you playing a lot of other sports or you just kind of knew that you you like volleyball? Volleyball was the backyard sport and that was going to be something you were going to do. Yeah, I, I grew up playing lots of sports. Um, my dad was also someone, both my parents actually also played lots of sports. They were both basketball players, but like you mentioned, they both played university volleyball. And um, I remember my dad was a high school gym teacher, right? And he would always coach his high school volleyball team. And I'd go out to some of their games. And I remember my dad once went to Oslo and I followed the team with them. And, uh, that's when I really learned to love the sport and all that. And um, I always grew up playing basketball and volleyball. Those were my two main sports, but um Around ninth grade, I had to make a decision bef- between both um, the sports. And uh, I decided to lean towards volleyball just because I enjoyed the culture of the sport a lot more. Nice. So in ninth grade, rough math, we would say like that's like 14U or 15U. So at Mavs, were they already into their HP program? Like were you doing maybe three club practices a week and lifts? So it's when the HP program started that I had to decide between both sports. Nice. And it's, yeah, 14U, that's when we started one workout a week and then three practices a week. Now, take me through the Mavericks because I think one thing coaches admire, but I haven't really got the athlete perspective, um, is with your age group, they kind of don't have like you're on this team and you're on t- that team for the year. Like there's a little bit of shuffling going on. My understanding is they'll try to get like a, a two or three court facility and run everybody in that age group together. Like, so a- as a coach, it sounds really appealing because it's like, oh, we can expose as many athletes to good coaching as we can. And hopefully when we get to 18, you, we have 10 really good players or whatever it is. Right. So, but, but as an athlete, is it ever distracting, not knowing like who's going to coach you that Saturday or who's going to be on your team? I got to give a lot of credit to the Mavs. They're, they're big on development. So that's one thing I, I appreciated them for. They, they always had my best interest in head. One thing they did is whenever we did practice all together, like it was a very common thing, right? So it would always be all the coaches coaching all the athletes. It wouldn't be like, oh, I don't know who's going to coach me this day or that day. It's more like I knew I had this group of coaches that was there to help me out and uh, they had my best interest at hand. Now, 
you're a Brock guy, you're a sports management guy, so I'm sure you, you've covered a different things. In your opinion, does that work so well in Ottawa? Because there, there's Mavericks and there's Fusion, but there's not a bunch of clubs to like cannibalize it. Where you look at like maybe girls volleyball in the Burlington area, where it seems like there's 10 clubs within 20 minutes drive. Like, do you think a club like that could do it? If you believe in the development like the Mavericks do and have good coaches, like, or is it something that can only work if you're not competing with several clubs? Um, I would say it's kind of a bit of both. Um, Mavericks are definitely committed to a philosophy, but at the same time, if someone from, let's say, Fusion or Mavs wanted to switch club, they only have one other option, right? As compared to someone from the greater Toronto area, they can just, they have a variety of clubs that they can pick from and really choose what's best for them or what they prefer. Compared to Mavericks, you only really have two options, or I guess in Ottawa, you only have two options. So you're kind of stuck with those two, but... I would say what the Mavericks have created is something that is really hard to beat in the OVA. You, you got to expand on that for me. Cause I'm sure any of our Pac-Man loyalist guys who are listeners or anybody else are rolling their eyes saying, you know, I don't think the Mavs are the best club in Ontario, but I understand like when I mentioned the HP program, you guys get access to strength and conditioning. It might be nutrition. Uh, the, the coaching is really good. And like, what else are the Mavs really providing that you think is like, what would make them an unmatched club in your eyes? One thing that really stood out for me, actually, we had lots of mental training. So um, I remember my 16-year year, our coaches before every tournament made us read a chapter of this book called Mind Gym. It's, it's actually a really good book. And they would make all of us read it, take out a quote from that book, and then apply whatever we learned from that chapter in the next tournament that we would play. And I remember every tournament that we played, we came out with some type of new knowledge, whether it was how to handle stress, pressure, um, how to think positive. I remember one of my big chapters was control the controllables, right? The court, don't worry about the referees, don't worry about the other team, all that kind of stuff, right? And I remember my sixth new year, that was something that really stuck with me and something that, and it's, even outside of sport, it's knowledge that I use every day. But that was one big thing, mental training. We had, I want to say, at least one hour of it every week. And then we had those chapters that we had to read. Um, strength and conditioning, recovery from the capital strength program. They're really amazing. They also helped us with nutrition, all that kind of stuff. The thing that I find a lot of clubs don't have. I've had a lot of people talk to me like saying that they don't really know what to eat before games. Or sometimes I remember last year, I went to my brother's provincials and you have teams like eating pizza and candy after a game, right? Like it's just not something you should technically do, but um, having that kind of support definitely helped me out throughout my club career. Nice. And I am curious about uh, those added details you put into, because I think the Ottawa Mavericks might travel one of the most in the OVA to get to tournaments. And, and the reason I say that is uh, when I was coaching once, we were at a tournament in Ottawa and Bruce Dunning, just super classy guy, like thanked us for coming. And we just were chatting about the amount of travel you got. And he mentioned his son, Jackson, played club volleyball, like m- most of us do from 14U to 18U. He never slept in his own bed before a tournament. 
Because even like Kingston is like just far enough where a lot of people would choose to have a hotel room or if you're going into the GTA or past or into the London area where uh, I was fascinated to hear that he was never close enough to home that he could sleep in his own bed. So uh, I'm curious, is that something the coaches have to cover already? This HP covers about, you know, you're going to be in a car ride for four hours. What are you going to eat on the road? Because there's going to be a lot of drive through options and that's probably not going to fuel you before the tournament. Or how do you rest after, you know, playing six OVA matches in a day and getting in a car and going home that night? Like, is that something that the Mavericks really detail as well? Oh, for sure. It's definitely something that they didn't. Um, I think it's one of the best part about the clubs, actually traveling. Um, I remember we'd get to the hotel room and so everyone was there, we'd have a team meeting. And sometimes we'd go even in a hotel room and do game footage before a tournament, which is something that some clubs does, don't have the opportunity to, right? So we'd plug in to the TV, we'd watch some of our previous games, see what we can improve on, and then we'd all have a curview. Everyone has to go to bed at this time. And the next morning, everyone has to wake up at a certain time for breakfast altogether. But um, the best part about that is the culture that it created for us as a team, right? Um, I truly believe that club teams in my age group weren't as close as me and the guys on my team. And it's just those, those five-hour cards that you spend together and those nights in those hotel rooms, like I, it made us so close as a group. And then when we stepped onto the court, we knew that we could trust each other and play as a team, right? So um, the culture that it created around our team was definitely beneficial to our performance. I'm glad you talked about the the culture of the club there because you and I were speaking before the show and I understand in your 16 year year, uh, one of the maps teams won and the other one finished fifth and you happen to be the the one on the team who finished fifth. And I'm curious, but when you look back, do you look at it and say like, okay, that's a Mavs medal and we all contribute to that because we all train together and coaches like coached everybody up or is there any part of you that's like, oh, if our club would have done a traditional A and B team, I would be a provincial gold medalist right now because I would have been on, you know, the stack squad that probably would have won provincials. Honestly, I'm I'm honestly really happy with what our club did that year. Cause even though I might have been on the stack squad, I think I would have maybe been on the bench half the year. So doing those two equal teams allowed me and other guys on the team to get those um positions or like starting spots on the team, right? Instead of just spending my year on the bench. And it actually allowed me to grow a lot as a player. But um you mentioned first and fifth, and I remember that that quarterfinals at provincials, we actually played each other and we had a 16, 14 third set loss, but we knew that we fought hard in that game. And it just turned out that our other team finished first. And when they did, we, we all felt the victory. Like, even though it was that team that won, we did feel like we won as a club and it just showed that um, the work and the effort that we put into our season paid off. Nice. Nice. And for any of our listeners who are either coaches or parents thinking like, ah, I wouldn't mind giving this a run with my club. Let's have two equal teams. Um, I don't think you're running two groups of 12, right? Like when you went to a tournament, it was like nine or 10 guys and you'd have 20 athletes in the gym or what were the numbers you guys uh, typically took when you're making like these clubs that could go back and forth? Yeah, I think we've got 10 players on each team around that. So it was definitely useful to have those guys. 
Nice. And I think you're being modest saying you wouldn't have been on the court, but you guys did have a really good age group. And the reason I say that again, and speaking to you before the show, I think 16U was your first year where you got to play provincial team in Canada Cup. So with this HP program, when you go to a provincial team tryout or an HBC, are you comfortable with the level right away? Because I think Timo does a great job, like exposing athletes to strength and conditioning, mental training and nutrition, where I'm wondering as a Mavs guy, are you looking around me like, guys, we've covered this. Like I already got this stuff. Like, why are we still talking about this? Yeah, definitely. Um, there was a part of me that was always understanding that other clubs didn't do all those things. But when going to Timo, like me and some of the other guys on our team would definitely think that we had covered some of the stuff, but they would always bring up new stuff that we had never heard of. Right. So you always got to listen, pay attention. And um, no, there's always great points brought up and stuff. You can always learn more. Right. So I definitely listen. And Timo has taught me a lot more than just what my club has taught me, right? And one other good thing about Timo is you, you get to train with like rivals, right? So I'm sure you used to being across the net from a lot of these guys and playing in, in deep in tournaments against them. But uh, just for me and the listeners, just name drop a couple guys that are for, not Mavs guys who you would have played those Timo years with. Uh, I remember uh, Corey Schroeder. He was one of my roommates of Timo. Um, Matthew Tots, actually, who now plays with me on Brock. Um, Jack Sutherland, he was one of those guys. Unit Sean, want to say is his last name. Um, yeah, just a couple of those guys. I remember I'd always look across the net, and there were those guys I would always butt heads with. But once you got to team O with them, you, you realize like these are actually great guys, right? Like I, I could be friends with these guys. So, and then afterwards, you saw them at tournaments, and you always said hi and competed against them, right? So it made it a bit more intense, but more enjoyable at the same time. Nice. And what was that first experience at Canada Cup like for you? Like any memories from that tournament? Um, I remember it was actually in Halifax, right? And it was at Dalhousie. The one thing I could mention about that tournament is that there was no AC. <laughs> and I remember it was in like 30 degree weather and we'd come off the court. And I remember looking over at one of my teammates once and he looked like he just went swimming in a pool or something. Like it was hot. and the guys were sweating. Um, that's that's one of the only things I could point out from that tournament. But I also remember like seeing guys on the Alberta team and the Manitoba teams and all that that uh, I had seen at nationals previously and all that stuff. And later on, would get to be on the same team as um, them on the YMT team. Nice, nice. So. Looking ahead to 17U, is that when Mavs do go uh, A and B, or were you guys still doing shared squads at 17U and 18U? Um, 17U, we lost a lot of guys. So that's when a lot of the guys decided that they want to keep playing, really take it seriously, take it to the next level, or um, just stop playing. So we just had enough guys to um, do one team. I want to say we had still 14 players, 13 players, something like that. So enough guys where we can still scrimmage um, during practice, but we only had one team. Okay. I think that's natural. If you look at participation age groups, 16U seems to be ginormous. And then 17U when people get part-time jobs or take school more seriously, or just decide they don't want to play college or university, they kind of step out. So uh, it makes sense that uh, Mavs aren't unique to that. So 17U a year, uh, we'll just spoil it for the listeners. Now that was the year of the COVID stoppage. So you guys missed it. But uh, one highlight event there was winning 17U Grand Prix. Take me through that prep because I believe in the OVA, you have to qualify to even go to that event. So you got to be doing well the, the couple tournaments prior, but then you get to that tournament and it's, 
I, I think it's one of your first chances to play like matches and it's going to be a couple days long. Like it's not going to be a, a typical Saturday where you're just playing two out of threes, like five in a row, it feels like sometimes. So what, what was that experience like prepping for the Grand Prix and taking it down? Honestly, you're taking me back here. Uh, <laughs> I kind of forget. But um, I just remember 17U was, was a really good year for us. Um, we had just combined two of the top five teams from the previous year, right? So um, premier tournaments beforehand and all that stuff obviously went really well. Uh, we had a lot of success. I think we won every single tournament leading up to that Grand Prix. So we were obviously uh, well-prepared beforehand, but um, no, it's definitely a tough tournament. It was a different playing style. I was used to always doing two out of three sets, one-day tournaments. It was my first official Grand Prix because in 16U, my team hadn't qualified for it. So it was definitely a different experience, but it was a fun one. I remember like we, we came out of that tournament and we were happy with the results. And um, it really felt like a big win for us because um, I didn't get my medal at 16U the year before. And it was my time to kind of experience those first first place wins. So it was definitely a good tournament. And looking again at your Team Ontario programs that year, it might have been the first or might have been your first experience. OVA Elite, how does that differ from the Team Ontario program? Just for our listeners, like when you say you were an OVA Elite athlete, I believe that means you guys are doing training camps year round. Like it's not just a summer program. Is that true? Yeah. Um, it was really weird for us though, because um, it started at the end of my 17 year year. So during the summer, but that's when COVID hit. So it was all online. And then in September, we had started training camps again, but it was only like one or two weekends. And it was like restricted on what we could and couldn't do. So um, it was definitely a different um, way that they, they used to do it beforehand. But um, COVID definitely affected it a lot. Now, when you look back, because it, it does feel like a while now, thank goodness it feels like we're past it. But um, uh, how did you deal with that being such a young athlete? Because here I am working with national team level athletes and, and you think like, oh, you have all this time. But like the motivation was really low with our guys. And even the concept of like watching video without adding the physical side of it, of saying like, OK, we're going to rep this situation. We'll get really good at the skill without matching that in the training facility and having the chance to practice it again. Our guys just kind of got switched off because, you know, you can only watch so much video or, or be hypothetical that you're going to do this. Right. So uh, I'm curious with you being even younger, like 16 or 17, with probably more energy and more uh, ability to want to get out there and try it. How did you deal with all this online learning stuff? Um, it was tough. It definitely was. Um, I just remember I'd be sitting in my room and my phone would be beside me and it'd be just so easy to just get side, like off track and stuff like that. Right. So just paying attention, it, it, it's tough because it really felt like I was just in a classroom listening. I didn't feel like I was really playing the sport or enjoying it as much because I couldn't apply the knowledge that I was learning. Um, so it was really hard to keep motivation throughout those years. But at the end of the day, like I knew how much I loved the sport and I knew how much I wanted to continue in the sport. So I kind of forced myself through it. But uh, I, I struggled to pay attention during those, those online sessions for sure. 
Was there any speaker that kind of caught your eye? Like, I know there's only so many clips you can watch of TJ Sanders setting like the black set or something like that. Sorry, TJ, to call you out like this. But uh, what was there any speaker that you thought was like really appealing or that did help your game that you were going to make some notes that as soon as you could go apply the physical, you were going to? Not that much. Um, I remember there was one session that we had. I, I love the mental aspect of the game. And um, I remember while doing um, the youth national team, there was one speaker, I, I forget his name, but he talked about mental, the mental aspect of the game. And he just brought a completely new perspective to the game for me. And um, that really opened my eyes and changed the way I looked at things. Nice, nice. So to go ahead one step further, obviously COVID interrupted your 17 year, but typically that is a year where people start to narrow down either their college or university choices. So on your recruiting path, what were some things you were looking for? Who were you considering? Like how old were you when you started to look ahead to post-secondary? So again, great thing about the match program. I remember in 16, you and my coach came up to me and he came up to all our players actually. And he said, I want you to give me a list of five universities that you want to go to. I want you to list the program, see if there's a volleyball team, what are the requirements for the program, all those kinds of things. Right. And he wanted to make sure off the bat that we just weren't closing doors for ourselves. So if I wanted to go in a science program to make sure that I take the science courses that I needed to go in that program, right? So um, off the bat, my coaches were amazing for that. Um, in 16U, actually, um, doing, or in 15U, HPC camp, I met Matt Rigonia, which is now the coach that I have at Brock. And he kind of explained to me the, the SPEMA program that I'm now in. And uh, ever since he told me about that program, I was always interested in it. So from the start, for me, Brock was always one of my top options. And when I looked more into it, it became the school I wanted to go to. Nice. Uh, hopefully we don't anger anybody, but I'm curious, uh, before you committed to Brock, was there anyone else that you had had talks with or you, you were Brock full speed ahead? Was there anyone else that you did a visit with or were really considering? So again, COVID, really tough. I didn't do any visits. It wasn't a thing. So I kind of went in blindly. I didn't meet any of the team beforehand. I hadn't done a practice. I hadn't done a visit. I just went based off program, right? So I chose Brock. I came here and ended up loving it. So I got really lucky, but um, I know for others, it might have been different. Nice. I'm glad you mentioned program first. So th that must confirm my next question, but I am curious. Um, the volleyball side of it, I think Coach Mavergoni is doing a nice job. The program is building steadily, but uh, I think in your year, they weren't exactly a world beater. Like I think Logan House was starting to come into his own. Uh, there was a few other guys that were competitive, but well, let's be honest, it was an expansion program and the team just hasn't got there yet. Right. So uh, at least at your age group, excuse me, but now that you're there, um, was the level of play anything that you were concerned about or you were just happy to be a part of a varsity program and something that was on the rise? I think it actually excited me to be a part of a new program because I knew I could be um, one of the guys that shaped and built that program, right? It, it's amazing to say that I'm at, I was one of the guys at the start of it and like see those guys that created that program and really founded it. But uh, no, it wasn't too much of a concern. I, I really just wanted to play volleyball, right? I didn't care really much about the quality or where it was. I just want to play and study what I wanted to study. 
Uh, and you did mention your youth national team experience, how that was also online. Um, because it was online, did you have to submit something or they knew the list of names or they tried to include a bunch of guys? Like, how did you get to be a part of the, the YNT that year? Um, I just remember I was in the basement with my dad and I got an email saying, like, I was invited to the youth national team. <laughs> so I guess they, they kind of did some they watched video beforehand or something like that. I think it was based maybe on the Canada cup, but I'm not too sure. Don't quote me on that. But yeah, I just remember getting the email. I said I was invited and then it was all online, but I jumped on the opportunity and tried to take advantage of it. Now, because it was online, did that make it tougher to, to make buddies who might be like a BC guy, an Alberta guy, or somebody from out East? Like, did you have any lasting friendships there or because it was all on the computer? Like it just didn't click the same way as having like a physical roommate. It's, it was tough. Like I couldn't name you guys that were on that team. I never really had any big conversations with them. It was just, I saw their faces on screen. I'd hop on, we'd watch video and then we'd hop off. Right. There was nothing really more than that, um, which kind of sucks. But at the end of the day, like it, it was what it was and we made the most out of it. For sure. For sure. I think it was a tough situation for everybody, including the coaches and presenters and they all did their best, but yeah, it just, it's not the same. So I think now knowing how lucky we are to be in person, I think any athlete going through the program now should be lucky and not, you know, regretting that they have to go live in residence at Nipissing for a week. They should be over the moon to do that because it was taken away from your age group. So looking at your 18 new year, I, I understand there was a, a pretty serious injury that's kind of affected your pathway since that time. So if you don't mind taking us through it, uh, I understand you had a pretty serious concussion in 18 U. Yeah. So in 18 U, in practice, I got a ball to the head from uh, one of my middles. Um, yeah. So that gave me a concussion and um, that was in December of 18 U um, in February. So Two months later, I was still dealing with that concussion. I had gone back to work and I actually hit my head on a door frame. So it made symptoms worse, worse than the concussion, I guess. Um, in March, I went back to practice and um, it was one of my first practices back. I was feeling good. We we're doing some scrimmage and it was a very small gym. And um, I actually dove for a ball and kind of slid further at the wall. So that made my concussion worse. And I think at that point I wasn't fully healed yet. So it kind of just worsened it. Um, then in April, I got an elbow to the head. So all within the same concussion, I got various hits that had just made the injury worse. And now, unfortunately, till this day, I'm still dealing with that same concussion. And if it's not too personal, obviously, like we've learned through this interview, you're a big fan of like the, the mental game. Was there anything that that could anchor you to, whether it was like the skills or anything, because having this taken away and it must be so frustrating that every time you come back, you seem to get injured again. Like, how did you not go to kind of a dark place there and be able to keep your spirits or go to school or graduate on time and, and do all the little things where volleyball was probably frustrating and got taken away from you, right? Um, it was definitely hard. It's definitely been a journey, but I think um, actually just volleyball is one of the reasons why I've been able to deal with this so well. Just always see the positive side of things. Don't get too down on yourself. Keep your head up. It's all things that the sport taught me. So it's it's really what I've been trying to focus on. And even though it's it, it's been hard, 
I've been trying to do the best I can with it. And take me through just the culture at Brock where you have a coach who understands, you have teammates who understand where nobody's giving you grief being like, coach, we have this giant youth national team guy on our team. Why isn't he training? Why isn't he doing more? Like, what's it like being around the team, but not feeling pressure that like they want you to play this week? Um, honestly, they, they've been amazing. They've been so supportive of my situation and um, they just want what's best for me, right? So obviously they, I, I think they would love to have me back playing and all that stuff again, but they, they've just been supporting me and my situation a lot and um, just trying to help me get through it. Right. Nice. Nice. And if it's not too personal or coach Ragon is not going to get us in trouble here, uh, what is your role at the club? Cause obviously I don't think you're a big rah, rah, you're not a good guy to cheerlead there. So are you kind of taking on like a coaching role? Or are you doing a lot of stats and data? Like, are you doing anything behind the scenes for the team? Like what, what is your involvement? Because obviously you're around the team, but I imagine you're not a guy who just wants to sit and clap on the bench, right? Yeah, no. Um, so we, we kind of had a discussion at the end of the year last year that my concussion was not getting any better. And it's, what should we do with it? And um, you kind of offered me this uh, this team manager role on the team, right? And um, he kind of he kind of directly related it to my program. So that's that's one thing that's amazing. But it's um, I do a lot of behind the scenes stuff, right? So I help out with our team social media and like I upload game footage when or practice footage when it's done. Um, I try so if we host tournaments or all that kind of stuff, I'll help out there. So all of the management side of things, I also just try to help out in any way I can, right? So I'm just there. If they need help with anything, they let me know. I'll get it done if I can. So I think Matt has been delegating a lot of stuff to make his life easier, but at the same time to give me more of a role on the team. Because last year was definitely hard, just sitting every practice, watching, not doing anything, right? And I just felt like I didn't really contribute to the program. But now that I have this role on team, it's really been, um, I've really been enjoying it just because I feel like I'm actually contributing and helping out and um, making this program better than what it was. Nice, man. So good to hear. So with you being a sports management guy, uh, obviously that sounds really appealing. Just give me kind of the, the surface level or the elevator pitch of your program, because uh, obviously you and Kyle Dubas with the Toronto Maple Leafs are probably the poster boys for this program. But just tell me uh, what makes Brock Sport Management one of the best in the country? Honestly, I think it's all the opportunities that it gives out. There's a bunch of different things that you can do with it. Um, personally, I just I'm a big sports guy. But I'm also a business guy. I love meeting new people, making new connections, all that kind of stuff, right? So I think that's one of the best parts about the program. It's um, it's kind of a business, but the, the so um, it just cracks my brain on a bunch of different things and stuff about sports that I never would have thought before. So uh, no, I really find it interesting. So as we're recording this, it's kind of the end of preseason and regular season starting. And I think a lot of pessimist volleyball fans would say they lost Logan House. What's Brock going to do? So I'm curious within your own words, how is preseason gone? How's the squad looking? And how are you guys looking to kind of continue what Logan was able to contribute, but kind of have a good season, even though you missed a, a top guy in the league? Yeah, um, Logan was obviously a big loss last year. I think all of us can acknowledge that. But um we lost a lot of bets last year, not just Logan, but um, 
we got a big rookie class this year and they've all been great so far. Our vets have been stepping up to fill up that that missing spot. And um, we've definitely put it, been putting the effort in practice and been working hard to try to be the best we can, right? So we're all pumped for the start of the season and um, excited to see how it's going to turn out. Awesome, man. Awesome. It's so good to hear your story and your perspective. And I mean, it doesn't sound like uh, it's officially a retirement here. You're kind of like my guy, Garrett May, where we're not announcing it. So never say never. Hopefully we do see you on the court again. But uh, even if if you're not, it's so cool to see you still involved in our sport and chipping away. But one thing we like to close with is just a funny or unique story. So obviously you've won Grand Prix or provincial medalist. You've accomplished a lot and you're still going. But something odd or funny must have happened along the way that I'm hoping you can give us a laugh before we let you go. Yeah, um, this relates to our club years and uh, our travel and the hotel rooms. But um, I remember one time at Provincials, actually, we stayed in this hotel and there was a big open lobby where there was um, the pool was in the lobby. And to the left side of the pool was a bridge. And on the left side of that bridge was the breakfast area where our parents used to eat and all that stuff. And um, one of the guys on our team got their hands on those small volleyballs that you always got at Provincials. And uh, like guys do, we had a couple guys on the bridge, a couple guys in the pool, and we'd have fun just throwing the ball back and forth to each other. And it only took one guy to take a bit too far, but he chucked it as hard as he could. And um, our parents were actually eating in the breakfast area. And I remember I was just in the pool, and all I heard was glass break. <laughs> and I see all the guys on the bridge just spreading and running in all directions. And I'm there just imagining the worst. And I see my teammates running out the pool. So I just follow along and just run, get away, try not to get in trouble. But it just turns out that the ball actually fell on the table exactly where our parents were eating and had broke the plates. So, uh, yeah, that, that was definitely an interesting uh, talk that we had with our parents afterwards. <laughs> Did they ever know who the culprit was or were you guys able to stay together in that moment? No, we didn't rat out anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Well, man, this has been great. Best of luck to you and the Brock Badgers this year and everything else you've got going on. Exciting to, like I said, uh, exciting to see you staying involved in our sport and still having an impact. So thanks for coming on and sharing all you did tonight. Thank you for having me.